Welcome to the Airman Helping Airmen podcast. I'm your host, Khalith Wright, CEO, Air Force Aid Society. Join me as we chat with extraordinary guests, share stories, and learn how amazing people are making a difference in the lives of so many Air Force and Space Force families. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Airman Helping Airman podcast. On the line, I have Mia Garcia. And in a moment, we're going to get into some questions regarding her background. But prior to that, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's currently the executive director of the Texas Veterans Network at Combined Arms. Combined Arms brings together veteran-focused nonprofits and agencies and communities across the world committed to serving those who serve. These 200-plus best-in-class organizations provide 1,000-plus resources and empower veterans to lead a successful civilian life that a member may want. Previous to this, she was a program director and talent acquisition manager for Next Op Veterans, which was also a nonprofit organization connecting veterans to energy sector companies who were looking for skilled and semi-skilled workers. Prior to that, she was a staffing specialist for a huge recruiting firm, Baker Hughes, primarily suited towards military individuals. And prior to that, she was a United States Marine, URA, who served as a volunteer and later operations manager for Lone Star Veterans Association. She did 10 years, it appears, as a financial chief and operations manager in the United States Marine Corps. It'll be interesting to ask why she decided to leave after 10 years, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And finally, she earned her Bachelor of Science degree in health promotion from the University of Houston, and later ultimately completed a Leadership Institute certificate through Rice University. Mia, welcome to the show. How are you this morning? Very good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we appreciate your background. And I have to tell you that I have, this is near and dear to my heart because prior to being the COO for 16 years, I was a chief human resources guy. And part of what I do for community service even now is I help Marines and airmen with resume development free of charge and teach a four-hour class on interview techniques and resume development. So this is a near and dear topic because what I always say is I wouldn't have hired John Farrell either with his February 1st, 2005 resume because you don't know what you know until you experience it, right? So let's begin by talking a little bit about some of your prior roles. So you served in the United States Marine Corps. Tell me a little bit about that role and also, why did you decide to get out after 10 years when you were halfway to retirement? Yeah, absolutely. So I joined the Marine Corps, literally, I swore in the two weeks before September 11th, and then I shipped out shortly after for boot camp, um, which I was really excited about because my dad said I should be really excited about having a purpose for joining the military. We were about to go to war. Things were about to get really exciting. So once I joined the Marine Corps, it was actually like the biggest adventure for me. I was homeschooled and quite sheltered. So the Marine Corps was quite a shock for my family. But I did actually, I joined and did four years and then I got out and did two years as a reservist, but got recalled. So in total, it ended up being 10 years. My husband is also a Marine and he had separated, got out, and we were living in California. It was quite expensive to live there and go to school. So with that, I decided to transition. So that is why I transitioned. I couldn't honestly tell you if I would stay in for 20 years. And I think I'm pretty happy with my decision to transition 
and go ahead and get on with the, the next stage of my life. But I loved my time in the Marine Corps. It is, in my view, the best military branch. Though in my continued service now in the nonprofit sector, I mean, I love helping every single branch. And I would say that John, what you said about resumes and employment, I mean, obviously that's one of the biggest barriers for transition is really realizing that we're not all project managers and our resumes do need to be um, translated to really fit the company and the position that we're applying for. I did that for about five years at Next Stop. So that is something I am very familiar with too. So I hope that answers your question about why I got out of the Marine Corps But I love what I'm doing now and what I've been doing. And that's continuing to serve in this capacity because, again, to another one of your points is transitioning service members and veterans don't know what they don't know. So I am privileged to be able to really kind of write that manual for that next step and really encourage those transitioning service members to get connected with the communities that they're returning to and really build a plan for their transition because what we see too often is they don't really have a plan. What we'll see is their plan is I'm going to go to school and get that money from the GI Bill, but I don't really know what I'm going to go to school for, nor do I know what I really want to do as a career. And they end up on their parents' couch and that only lasts so long. So we really do at Combined Arms are really intentional with getting further upstream to the transitioning service member and arming them with the knowledge of what resources and services await them in their communities. And also intentionally trying to make that connection back to their new tribe, the new group of people that they'll be building this next stage of their life with because they do need that support. Well, first again, thank you very much for your service in Marine Corps. And please thank your husband as well. That's great. I get a kick out of my Marine brethren because the way we view the world as airmen, is dramatically different than the Marines. And I had some joint environment assignments. And whenever I had airmen who I believed were complaining about trivial matters, I always had my gunny sergeant, who was a buddy of mine, and his exact comment was, John, our idea of quality of life is having a tent with a window in it. Get over it. <laughs> and so that kind of leveled the playing field with my airmen folks. And the resume piece that I get a kick out of, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, is especially Marines more than airmen. When I read their very first shot at developing a resume, I see things that are important in the military, but not so much. And the classic example I always get, and I'm paraphrasing, is the number one fitness program on base, dot, 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 fitness, and the whole bit. And I say, you know what? We're kind of fat out here in the civilian population sometimes, so that's not so important. So we need to find a way of you taking that resume and developing it towards what you can do to increase productivity for that company and and to take your skills. And the other part that I find a lot, Mia, is especially with my E9 brethren, since I'm teaching at Executive Tap stuff, is they have a hard time separating their identity during that transition. So I want to talk a little bit about that as well. I jokingly say tongue-in-cheek, chief, you go from being a hero to a zero in the eyes of the civilian population, because a lot of them don't understand it or they don't get it. So when you advise military folks, what are some of the things that you say to them of how to separate all that military jargon, that military lingo, and to bring that into not only the connecting piece, but also the resume piece? Right, absolutely. And I think in summary, it all comes down to helping them manage their expectations. Because I don't think it's changed. And the message for transition is, oh, you're all going to be 
many project managers, it'll be easy for you to get into that sort of job and make 80K starting off. And that is not the case at all. I would say for the more senior listed, this is even quite a struggle for them because you're absolutely right. They've like rose to the ranks of leadership and it's very humbling for them to have to start in oftentimes a mid-level position and build their way up the ranks again. And some aren't so willing to do that. And I've seen quite a few find the right, build in a relationship in the right network and, and find those opportunities. But for most, they do have to start at some level and build again. For our middle enlisted, and that's what I've, or my experience is, I've dealt with E3 to E5 primarily in infantry, (laughs) I would say probably about 60%. And what they think is their shot, their only shot at this in the civilian transition is I'm going to go be a cop or I'm going to find a federal position. And in the transition program then with TAPS, They've given me a federal resume. It's not really that great. And I don't, yeah, I don't really know how to adjust it. So they think they're limited, right? They don't really know what they can go for. And so I think with them, it's really just having the discussion about what sorts of opportunities are out there and available. And what do those pathways look like? How do you even get started? Can you connect me with some sort of mentor in an industry that can tell me about their way up? And oftentimes we see mentorship is the way that a lot of these transitioning service members do get started. They get educated about what advanced manufacturing looks like or becoming an operator. These don't take or require a four-year degree. Oftentimes it's some sort of certificate but or a two-year program, but it yields the same sort of salary. So I think it just comes to really having those conversations, intentionally connecting with a mentor that either had the same MOS military occupation specialty or is in the industry that they're looking to break into, those intentional conversations are what really do help either the middle enlisted and even the senior enlisted get that proper footing in a pathway. Yeah, that's a great point, Mia. So let's talk about our own personal experiences. I'll share mine and then I'll have you share yours. Even though I served all those years, what's so funny is I never went to TAP. And let me tell you why. Uh, I was at my final what I didn't know at that moment, my final function in my assignment NCO walked up and said, Chief, you just got an assignment to Honduras. You'll be the lone Air Force guy in a sea of Army folks. Let me know what you want to do. So at the time, I was engaged to be married. And I had the retainability. And I said, you know what? You're 45 years old. You've already served 26 years in the military. No, I'm going to turn it down. So I go and I tell him within an hour, I'm turning it down. He goes, well, guess what? Today's your last day on active duty. So that's how it ended for me. And I never went to TAPS because I was fortunate enough to secure a job immediately and went to work. I didn't even take a break in hindsight. That was such a mistake because I went ahead and stopped that Friday and joined that civilian organization that Monday and double dipped for a couple months because I wasn't officially retired. But I learned a very valuable lesson. If I could turn back the hands of time, I never would have done that, right? I would have. So tell me a little bit about your own personal experience when you separated. Obviously, you were honorably discharged, so you had that background. But what do you wish you would have known that you didn't know before you transitioned? Yeah, absolutely. Everything. I don't have to play a tiptoe around this, but Marines by nature are quite stubborn. I won't say we're the most stubborn of all branches, but we definitely have this mentality of, oh, I don't need anyone. I got this figured out. I can figure it out. So I transitioned from my last duty station was with an infantry battalion. And I was the only female 
and it was a, a small group. So there was no official transition program. They offered to fly me to San Antonio for their transition program, but it wasn't required. So I didn't go. So I definitely kind of filled out that transition form myself and I was on my way. And I had no idea about resources. I knew about the VA. I knew I needed to get connected to the VA, had no idea really how to do it. I didn't have a resume at all. So I went at that myself and I had no idea about community. Like where are the other like veterans? What do they do? How can I find them? And I wouldn't even say that I was even really looking for that because I still hadn't hit me that I had nobody in my tribe anymore, if you will. Like the people that spoke my same language were going through the same sorts of experiences. And so everything for me in my transition happens by happenstance and organically. I was running down around Memorial Park, which is a a common like running ground here in Houston. And I saw someone with this team red, white, and blue, a red shirt. And I was like, oh, what is that? It's a cool shirt. There's these people seem to be doing pull-ups and running. They maybe are veterans. So as I got closer, I saw um, their motto, Enriching Veterans' Lives. And I was like, oh, let me ask some questions here. Who are you guys? What do you do? And so I started running with them and At the time, even in Houston, second biggest city for veterans, the veteran serving space was still so siloed. None of the organizations spoke to one another and everyone was acting very independently. And so as I got myself kind of more involved with Team Red, White, and Blue, I learned about other organizations like the Mission Continues and then Lone Star Veterans Association, which was an organization that was really intentionally helped serving the post 9-11 generation. And in Houston, nothing like that existed yet. And so I started volunteering there. And that's how I kind of got familiar with the veteran community and started making friends with those that had things in common with me and really helped me get connected to the VA, learn how to write a resume. And oh yeah, connected me to my first civilian job. And so that's how it all happened. It was very much more different for my husband because he just went to school and kind of just figured things out. Everything kind of played into, I guess, his plan. And he got connected to the veteran community later. But it was it's a daunting experience because there's a lot of information probably thrown at our veterans today. And now I see it all the time. The transitioning service members, they have tons of lists of resources. They have tons of people that say they're going to help them. And what Combined Arms has done is really take that gray space out and been really intentional with finding the organizations that say they're helping these transitioning source members, veterans and their families, and we're vetting them. We're doing very, it's called a due diligence is our process. We're verifying 990s, keyword search on these organizations and our board members. And ultimately we have an MOU with these organizations and they're held to accountability standards. So we're making sure that they are, in fact, providing the resources and services that they say they are going to provide for these very special community. So I say all that to say is I figured it out. And this was in 2012 when I transitioned from the Marine Corps. But now with Combined Arms, it is really simplifying the process and hopefully making the process more seamless from transition from the military installation to the new communities that the service members are returning to. Well, thanks for sharing that. I would totally agree. Now that I'm 18 years removed and I still involved, what a drastic change in the past five years on the way that we handle transitioning in a positive way. Because you said it well, it was so disjointed. There was never any 
what I call handoffs, to use a football analogy. It was difficult in the long run. So based on these experiences that you had, what would you say are the most challenging situations for veterans when they leave civilianly? If Can you nail two or three that you think of that they really need to focus on? Absolutely. Now I've been monitoring what veterans are coming and getting connected to for the last three years. And I would say every quarter, what we see is employment and benefits be number one and number two. They might switch places, but those are the two top requests. And it's typically followed by either financial assistance and mental health resources. And I'm not surprised by this. And employment, you would be surprised, is it's career services, really. It's help me either create a resume. So these are our more junior guys that are just getting started. But what we see probably like 45% of the time is that the veteran is looking for opportunities to upskill, improve their resume. They need access to appropriate business attire. These are resources that our member organizations provide. It could be networking, learning how to build an, a LinkedIn profile. These are all things that the veterans are asking for. So that's a big like service category for us is career services and employment. But benefits, what we see is there are so, so many transitioning service members that somehow by default are not connecting to the VA upon separation. They're right. finding a flood later and wanting help with that enrollment piece and those next steps. And they really want someone to hold their hand through that process because it can be confusing. And then, so that's one part of the benefits spectrum. The other part is, all right, I've been through the process. They gave me a rating. It's not a good rating. I don't feel it's appropriate. And I'd really like an advocate to help me assess this and go back and see how I can get this, my benefits claim reevaluated. And hopefully that that percentage increased. So there's two organizations here in Texas that do a really good job of that. It's Wounded Warrior Project. They do an amazing job. So for those veterans that are already out and you need help, you need an advocate for helping you increase that claim, Wounded Warrior Project. And then in Texas, the Texas Veterans Commission does a really great job with that too. There are other entities, but those two are probably our top two that are, are serving with that. And then financial assistance, I mean, veterans come up on hard times often. We see with the increase of in cost of living, we've seen veterans that need food assistance. So we're hosting mobile food pantries, not only for our veteran communities, but for our most local military installation. Those junior service members are filling that pinch. So being able to bring them access to food on a monthly basis has definitely helped them out. And then financial assistance, rent and mortgage is are probably our top two requests within financial assistance. Well, and that's perfect. That's our mission. Our tagline, if you remember your days with Navy Marine Corps Relief, the Air Force yes. Aid Society, helping airmen and guardians when they need us most. And that's a big part of it. But the part that you hit on that I think is so important that we need to get into the eyes of the veteran population is what you mentioned with the Veterans Administration. So let me just share you a short personal story that I carry guilt with because it was my own father. So my dad, and lied and enlisted at 16 years old, told the recruiter he was 18. Back then, they obviously didn't check records like they did now. Served in the United States Army in Korea as a combat medic, was injured, came back home, got out after three years, worked in the Washington, D.C. area. I like to say wised up and crossed over into the blue, came back to the United States Air Force and was a flyer for many years in Vietnam with numerous messages. So he experienced the Agent Orange situation, all that other stuff. And he lived up until two months before he turned 90. But here as an Air Force guy, I should have known better. 
He developed severe Parkinson's. He started having all these issues. And I, for whatever reason, nor anybody in my family ever said, you know, we should go to the Veterans Administration. And didn't do it until he was 88 years old. So I think back all that those years of care that he could have received, not only from the care piece at the hospital, but the monetary compensation that him and my mother would have said. So I am living proof that you have to be a lot more aggressive and do those things well before. And I think you nailed it when you said, do it when you leave the military, don't wait until later. So I think that's just so important. Absolutely. You're your best advocate in that process too. And I think that service members, oftentimes they don't even think about the VA until maybe they hear about it later. There are some transition programs that are, are again, being more intentional with bringing the VA to tell those service members, hey, let's go ahead and get this process started. However, there's some that are, while they're in that seat, they can only see, I just want to be out of here. I don't want to hear anything else. And they don't hear anything else until it's too late. And then they, they might have this checklist with them, but that's after the fact. So we really want to be intentional with getting again, further upstream and the VA, the VA could have a reputation. And I think the reputation is definitely changing, but if you're monitoring the PACT Act and the influence that the PACT Act is going to have it's going to be ever more important for those service members to connect with the VA. Make sure every single thing is documented in your medical history before you transition, because trying to get people to be able to write up a testimony for you after the fact doesn't play in as well, or definitely doesn't play in well. So you want to have everything documented, even if you just barely hurt yourself, have them like annotate it somewhere, tinnitus, anything like that. And definitely anything that has, that maybe you've been around any sort of toxic chemicals, whether it be you worked as a petrochemical petroleum engineer or a petroleum specialist. I know the army, that's the folks that put gas into the vehicles in the air force. They obviously have folks that gas up the planes, but that's a sort of chemical thing that needs to be documented because the PACT Act is going to look at these things. And there's already veterans that are getting on that registry. They won't be looked at until January, but just to kind of give you like what that time frame even looks like. So it's just so important to have everything medically related, annotated in your record before you transition. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. We'll leave the VA, but just one final point. Some of our brothers and sisters in arms, they're too proud. They're like, you know what? I'm fine. Myself, 62 years old, I've never gone to the VA. Thank God I left healthy and I'm still healthy, thank God. But it's one of those things where sometimes you don't experience it till later. So I think you said it well that we need to at least be proactive and do what we need to do when it comes to Veterans Administration. So right. leaving that, let's go a little bit back to some of your experiences at com- Combined Arms. So what type of resources are available specifically from your organization for veterans? Absolutely. So... You said it in the opening, there's about 1,030 resources available. These are from organizations, 256 organizations that collectively provide these resources. So anything really that you can think of ranging from career services, which I told you is a very broad service category. So within that one, networking, interviewing skills, um, professional attire, resumes, obviously, direct placement. There's probably like 11, 12 different resources just within career services. Social connectivity, running, we have boxing, 
tons of virtual fitness activities, mental health, wide spectrum for mental health for transitioning service members, veterans, and their family members, even family counseling within that spectrum. Obviously, those emergent needs, whether it be food insecurity, so access to food, financial assistance, which is could be varied between rent, mortgage, or I just need to be able to pay this bill. And then everything in between. And we're serving the transitioning service member, the veteran, their family, so caregivers, spouses, children. We even serve the uh, special immigrant visa community, Um, special immigrants visa, so the SIVs and allies, so those that were translators for us in Iraq and Afghanistan, as they're transitioning to the U.S., we have services available for them as well. So. A lot of words to say this, but I even just saying that, I imagine it could be daunting. But our technology is so sophisticated in that when a transitioning service member, veteran, or the family member creates a profile, they will only see the resources that he or she is eligible for and provided in the exact zip code that they reside in. So they'll see resources available to them in the the local, state, and national level based off of their time and service the sort of discharge they received, their sex, and these sorts of criteria. It's almost like an Amazon experience where you can pick the resources that you need and then check out. And then it's on those organizations to then connect with you and provide that resource or service. Again, our organizations are held to accountability standards. So within 72 hours, that organization has to get in contact with the client. Although over the last two years, we've averaged between 27 and 29 hours. So that means typically... On average, before you can receive an Amazon package, you'll have access to the resource or service that you're looking for. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm so impressed that you have the metrics that back it up because too many times, you know, it's the what I call the allurious blow off, right? People have great intentions, but they never follow through. And then if they don't hold them accountable, they'll, ah, the heck with it. I guess I don't need to worry about it. So I'm so glad to hear that your company, that's admirable and keep that up. That's fantastic. So One thing that I want to talk about now is some people call it networking. I hate the term networking. I call it connecting because to me, there's a difference. Some people would consider it semantics, but I don't. Yeah, you can network all day long, but if you don't have that connection, that's going to ultimately lead you to a successful career later on once you hang up the uniform, then you're kind of behind the eight ball. So share your experiences in that world. Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to get to the networking event to build the connections is a way to look at it. But you're absolutely right you need the opportunity to make that impression and make that connection. And only then will it yield to that next step in the relationship, right? And that could just be a connection to someone that runs and now you run with them or work out with them. It could be a connection to a mentor who is now going to be your voice of reason if they've gone through the same experiences as you. And maybe that person that's going to help you kind of build that plan for what your transition is going to look like or even that transition to your next uh, career. I think so many times we think of transition is, okay, I'm getting out of the military and I'm transitioning into my next house, my next job. And that's it. Like that's the transition. But there's so many transitions at every stage of life. And that's really what Combined Arms is trying to provide access to is resources for every stage of your transition throughout your life. Because one, when you first transition, you're going to need have unique needs. Maybe once you are already in established in your career, you're going to have certain needs too. Those might be volunteering or having that VA rating uh, reassessed or social connectivity or workshops for professional development, things like this. 
Or then the next stage of your life, you're a little bit older and maybe you're looking for opportunities to give back. Or again, you might need your VA claim reassessed or get that claim started. It depends on when we're able to get that veteran to connect with us, right? But I just think that transition is ever going, right? So I think so many times we think it's just that, let me just make that first step in my transition and then I can be successfully transitioned. But it's just, it's something that continues to go on throughout your life and you'll need different resources and services during those different stages. Yes, well well said. And I will say too, the connecting piece is just so important. I will share that I've had four jobs, four different companies since I left the military. And every single time, every time, the reason I got the job is because I had a confidant who was carrying the water for me, right? And I used to use this example. I said, most of these organizations, especially when I work for a 55,000 employee organization, they have applicant tracking systems, what I affectionately refer to as a lottery machine. Your resume goes into that. They pick 10 to 15 keywords. They might pull maybe 50 of those. And in some cases, in the jobs that I was hiring, they were all 100K or higher. So I would get 1,500 applications. So 1450 weren't even getting looked at, right? So I'm like, you have to be able to separate yourself from the crowd. So having a confidant or somebody who can walk in and say, here you go, here's John Farrell or Mia Garcia's resume. It's just so important. The connection piece, I can't not stress it enough. I want to transition a little bit into uh, something I read on LinkedIn that I really got a kick out of. On your profile, it said, you are specifically making Texas the first interconnected state for veterans. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, my team is. It's not just me, but it's an effort that I'm leading. So the combined arms model started a few years ago, and it was Houston-centric. So really trying to break down the silos of the veteran-serving organizations and government entities that were serving veterans to work together to share the veteran and make sure they had access to all the resources they needed, thus holistically serving them. And oh, by the way, combined arms is monitoring those transactions and holding everyone accountable. And so the model was so successful in Houston with just 70 organizations collaborating and working together that the state of Texas took notice and the Texas Workforce Commission specifically, they allowed us to apply for an RFA and and scale the model across the state of Texas. And so that is making Texas the first interconnected state for veterans and their families. It's been so successful. Oddly enough, we launched the Texas Veterans Network at the same time as the COVID pandemic, April of 2020, but we've still been so successful in this. More than 30,000 unique veteran clients served, transitioning service members and veterans served. They were connected to more than 60,000 resources. We've maintained a, an average response time of, again, between 27 and 29 hours. We've built the network from, or grown the network from 70 organizations to 256 organizations that now offer that 1,032 unique resources. Those organizations are national in scope, 43 of them. They're local and, and state resources. This model has been so successful that other states have wanted to emulate what we've created. I mean, it makes too much sense making the connection for transitioning service members and veterans who can connect to all the resources they need in one location. So with this model and its success, there's other states have that have come to Combine Arms and said, hey, what is your secret? How does this work? So we have like probably nine other states that are lining up wanting the sophisticated technology that's driving this interconnected state. 
but also the methodology in uniting the organizations to work together. Because that's always going to be, I think, a battle for the veteran serving space. Just in Texas alone, there's 2,300 organizations that say they help veterans. And there's some level of competition within that, right? So I'm really kind of motivating um, those organizations to want to work together to see that they're all, you know, we all are serving the same client and we, in most cases, all have the same sort of mission. That's what we've been able to do in Texas and making Texas the first interconnected state for veterans and their families. Well, that's great. Well, me and our remaining time, we have time for a couple more questions. The the one that I wanted to make sure that I focused on is what does it mean to you specifically to give back to veterans in Texas? You obviously mentioned the interconnection, but what does it mean to you personally to give back to veterans in Texas? Yeah, absolutely. I think that now I'm, what, 10 years separated from the Marine Corps. I have learned so, so much, and it just would not feel right to just kind of hold that in and not share that. And now I'm in the position where I can ask questions and say to organizations, well, why are you doing things this way? Let's collaborate and make it easier, make it better for the veterans. And I'm still finding my so many opportunities to do that. So my work is not done. And I think that just being able to kind of learn from my experiences and then come in with Lone Star Veterans Association now as combined arms and really build that roadmap for what transition could look like and improve it and continue to improve it and hold organizations accountable. That's my way of giving back is I've lived through it. I think we used to have this model, a motto at Lone Star Veterans Association. We've been there. I've been there. So I feel like it's my duty to really make this process more seamless for the transitioning service member, especially those very the junior service members who get out and they want to try it. They want to attempt to transition themselves and really just sharing the experience. And my whole team, 80% of them are veterans. Like we are all sharing our experiences that we are, we're all in that same seat. And there really isn't, you don't really attempt transition yourself and succeed. Like you do need to find that community that's going to give you um, not only mentors, but that sense of camaraderie in that tribe that will come together and help you succeed in your transition in every stage of life. Great. Well, my last question, I always ask this final question here, Mia. So I'm a big fan of a guy named Dan Rather. Dan was the CBS Evening News anchor, and he has a show on Access TV called The Big Interview. And he always concludes every single interview, whether it's a politician, president, or entertainer, with this question. What question should I have asked you that I didn't? What question should I have asked you that I didn't? That's like that's also an interview question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you should have asked me for a success story. Tell me one. All right, I will. So, and I'm gonna use an infantry marine. So this is in my eyes, the person that probably has the most difficult transition, because as I alluded to earlier, like oftentimes they get out and they're like, all right, I'm going to go be a cop or I'm going to go work in some sort of government type job. And so we had this um, Marine and I know he won't mind if I share his story. His name was Juan Pablo Osorio. He was with me at my last duty station, 1st Battalion, 23rd Marines, and he was infantry Marine. He transitioned with a group of infantry Marines and they all got out and they all tried to get into the police department. And only half of them like actually were accepted. So the rest of them really struggled. And as it was, um, the three that did make it ended up transitioning from the police force and starting their own business. But with Juan Pablo, he didn't get accepted into the police force and he had no idea what to do. He didn't have a resume. 
So he came to Combined Arms. He, at the time, I was with NextStop, so he connected with NextStop. We helped him with a resume. We connected him with a mentor. And we also connected him to the Mission Continues, which brought him back into the community, helped him kind of build that tribe again, find purpose again. He built relationships within the Mission Continues with an entrepreneurship group called Bunker Labs, which is another one of our member organizations. And he learned about better in entrepreneurship and all of the different pathways to start your business. And so he created his own business and it's Alpha Company Marketing. And he now has like 20 employees and he's been thriving over the last three years. I continue to see him on LinkedIn, progressing, getting new clients. I mean, he has a, one of his clients right now is Pepsi. That's amazing. Gotta love that. Just a few years ago, he was just a grunt that couldn't figure things out. So it's just been so amazing to see how his connection to Combined Arms and the multitude of resources really took him to that next level and got him started in that transition properly. Isn't it so rewarding what we do, Mia? I have to tell you, I'll share this one last story and we'll conclude and allow you the last words. But I always tell when I teach my course to always, always, always end with this final question. And there's a little bit of bravado to it, but it's phrased like this. Ladies and gentlemen, now that we've had the opportunity, and this is assuming I'm in an interview, now that we've had the opportunity to review my education experience and qualifications, is there any questions that I could answer before I depart in order to make me your number one candidate? And they'll smile, but I will tell you, a perfect example why this was so important. The very first job I had when I left the United States Air Force, there was this lady, and at the time, I'm about 45, she's about 65. And I see her kind of lean back and she goes, yes, I do have a question, if you don't mind. And I said, what's that? She goes, I'm a little concerned about your experience in the military. So I paused and I said, ma'am, do you mind if I ask you a question? Of course. Have you ever had any family members that served in the military? No, rather abruptly. So can I assume that your experiences are probably what you've seen in, on movies and television? And she said, yeah, that's probably true. And I said, well, rest assured, if you hire me, I'm not going to be coming in here barking orders, telling drop and give me 50 push-ups. We subsequently became friends. We're friends until this day. She's in her 80s now. And she said, John, if you would have not asked that question, I would have not recommended you for hire. So... The, some of the things that we do is just so, so important. So I want to leave you with last words. Anything else you'd like to say, Mia, before we conclude today? Just for transitioning service members, veterans, and their families, check out combinedarms.us. Create a profile. There's 45 national organizations that provide resources, but we're going to be able to connect you to resources before you transition and at every stage of your transition. And again, thank you just so much for the opportunity. We really appreciate you being on the line, Mia. We will make sure that our audience gets all your social media hyperlinks, and we'll make sure that we continue the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to today's episode of Airmen Helping Airmen, brought to you by the Air Force Aid Society. To find out more about how you can make a difference, please visit www.athas.org. And then be sure to search for the Airmen Helping Airmen podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else they're found. And please click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of everyone at the Air Force Aid Society, thank you for listening. And please join us on social media. Have a great Marine and Air Force Day, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Airmen Helping Airmen, brought to you by the Air Force Aid Society. To find out 
more about how we make a difference, visit AFAS.org. And then be sure to search for Airman Helping in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of everyone at the Air Force Aid Society, thanks for listening and join us on social media. Thank you.